Good morning. Today I want to talk about, well, I want to start, talk about the very first pet I ever owned in my life. It was a hamster named Wicket. He's cute, he's fluffy, and I can remember, see, this is one of those things where like a hamster is like a trap to a parent because it's, it's like, I don't know if I wanted a hamster more than I wanted uh, hamster city in my room with like the tunnels and where the hamster can go everywhere because, and those things are expensive, right? And I can remember asking, I want this, I want that, I want the wheel, I want this, all these things to go with, with Little Wicket because it's going to be amazing. I'm going to have this hamster city in my room. What I didn't know was that those things are like, that's how these little things get out. They're smart, and they, they, they're, they, they can get out of their encloses, enclosures very easily, and Wicket was the best. There would be times where he would get out, and you know, the first time you panic, like, oh my gosh, he's out. He's, I think like he's out in the world, and you know, he's going to die, and all these things. You're freaking out, but then you find him a little later, and then as the more and more he gets out, you're just like, oh, well, we'll eventually find him. I remember one day... Sitting at home, it was one of the evenings, it was America's Funniest Home Videos, we're watching it as a family, you know, Bob Saget doing his thing, and all of a sudden, Little Wicked just goes, grab him, put him back in the, in the cage. Well, my parents wised up, and they got a cage that was like, well, he's never getting out now, so they're tired of it. For me, I thought it was cool, because... I didn't think about all the poop he was leaving around the house. I just thought, like, oh, little Wicket's around. He's enjoying life. The whole house is his hamster thing. Well, yeah, they got this, uh, they got this thing, and uh, it, I, it was like a, more or less like a fishbowl now. And, um, you know, he'd really have to try to get out of that. Uh, and so one night, my dad... He was always, you know, he wakes up early, goes to work. That's just what he did. Uh, but to wake up early, you'd have to get good sleep, right? So I guess over the course of three nights, the hamster is trying to get out and making so much noise that it was driving him crazy. Every night, the rattling, the rattling, the rattling. He told me he would throw stuff at the cage just to get it to stop. Now, it being in my room, I never heard a thing. Don't know why, you know. But he, it would drive him crazy. And by the third night of the new cage, he had finally had enough. He had taken the cage. He said, I need some sleep. Taken it out of my room, put it in the garage, went to bed to get a good night's sleep. He's all put the cage back before Michael wakes up. Goes into the garage, opens the door, and sees little Wicket frozen like that. My dad freaked out. He started like, oh, gosh, no, no. And he tells the story. He says, I, you know, he started doing like little chest compressions. He's like, wake up, wake up. No, not today, not today. And, and it just like trying to get this thing. And, and it was still alive. And so he got it. He, he got it to, 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 to breathe again. And so he's getting like all these work lamps and lamps and wrapping it in blankets, like wake up, like bringing it back to life. And I wake up in the morning. I'm like, where's Wicket? 
And my mom's like, well, you know, he got out again. Didn't dawn on me that, you know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> what a rascal. What a rascal wicked is. Until he got home. And my dad pulled me in the room by himself because this is now that I'm a dad and I'm a parent, and when you make decisions without the spouse, this is I can imagine that my mom was like, Well, you know, you're the one that's gonna tell him. I didn't tell you to put the hamster in the garage. This is your fault, Dale. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that's how that went. And so my dad said, hey, son, you know Wicked? Told me the whole story, sat me down. Because I put him in the garage, and, and he kind of got sick. He got sick? Yeah, yeah, he got sick. He said, but, you know, you, you, we can go and we can say hi to him. And I'm like, but dad, is he going to die? He's like, he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't say yes or no. He said, but I, I just want you to say hi to him. So he takes me to, to Wicket in the garage, and I see him, little, little cheekers and whiskers and these lamps <laughs> all around in a blanket. And I remember, like, saying, oh, he doesn't, doesn't look good, Dad. And he goes, no, 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 he doesn't, son. And, uh, and, and in his way, he had to convince me that I need to say goodbye to Wicket. And it was the first time I had ever experienced death of my first pet. And yeah, it was sad. And then my dad, you know, wanted to make, <laughs> make, it, make it up to me by like telling me what the funeral was going to be like and like how we're going to get like a headstone and, you know, make it excite, go out into the garage, pick a beautiful place that we could put him. And my dad being a machinist, he was able to craft a little coffin for him. And somewhere in Ontario, there lies Wicket. Well, not somewhere. 1842 North Placer Avenue. That's where he's at. Because that's we, we said goodbye to him. But I'll never forget being there, like kind of like on his deathbed and saying goodbye and saying how much I loved him and how much joy he brought to me. And, and my dad probably like fighting back the tears because, you know, he did this to me. But at the same time, be like, well, Lisa, we're going to get some sleep now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what does that have to do with today? <laughs> Let me get my drink. I'm like, did you take that? Or I, you <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today, like Pastor Josh said, we have been talking about Israel, the man, and the nation. And this being the last day, um, we're going to get to see a moment, because not like everybody, he actually has the moment where he gets to meet with his sons and say his last words, because he knew he was going to die. And so tonight, today, I want to talk about two just important things that happened at the end of his life. You know, we've talked so much about how, how, how he started, how even just from the beginning, he kind of had a, had a bum deal because of the name that was given to him. He was the heel catcher. And that was, in his way, his identity. His own dad kind of put him at second place. It's been a rough go for him. His mom teaches him how to, uh, you know, swindle things from his brother. They pull this whole ruse from, 
to him to, to, so that he could take his brother's blessing, but then that only led to his brother hating him and saying that when our father dies, I'm going to kill you. He had a death mark on him. So he has to leave his home, then finds a man. He finds a woman. He's like, wow, this is like the best thing that's happened to me in a long time. And the man says, well, you can marry my daughter, but you're going to have to work me for seven years. For seven years, he worked for the honor to marry that daughter, only to find out that he was given a woman he didn't want, a different daughter. So he had to work another seven years for, for the right to marry that daughter. And as time goes on, he finally has these moments with God. He meets with God, and he has this wrestling match, one of the greatest wrestling matches ever he has with God. And he has to, he gets his identity changed, but it came at a cost. It came with him having to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. But his identity was changed. He was no longer the same person. That was a good sermon two weeks ago. Walk with a limp, look it on YouTube. If you want to know the importance of identity, sometimes I think this whole Bible, all this is about is what God is saying, who you are. Your identity is so important that we need to know these things. And it changed his life. He did not live an easy life, Jacob. And so at the end, and if you know your Bible, you know Genesis, I mean, you got to think, like, you've got, you've got the, the fall... You've got Noah, and then you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the rest is just Jacob's family. Then it goes into his son. Like, there is a lot of Bible dedicated to this man's life, more so than, than Abraham and Isaac. There's something about Jacob that God wants us to know. He wants us to know his life. And then he gets to the point with his son, Joseph. And I love this story, and as much as I want to talk about this story, this isn't this isn't a sermon series on Joseph. It's about his dad. But I have to tell you, I have to recap Joseph's story. For those of you who don't know, Jacob had a, had a, a lot of sons, okay? And remember I said he had the wife that he, he, he wanted, the wife that, that he loved. Uh, and with her, he had two more sons, Joseph. And, or, sorry, one of them was Joseph. So he kind of favored that son. See, again, he kind of, even though his identity has changed, even though he's a different man, the upbringing that he learned from his own father about picking and choosing favorites still followed him. He didn't know any different. And so he had a favorite son named Joseph, gave him, gave him a, a, a robe to show all the rest of his sons how much he loved Joseph. And yet Joseph didn't read the room right, would flaunt that would flaunt that to his other brothers, how much he was loved. And then he would have these dreams that God would give him about how someday his own family was going to bow to him. And again, not reading the room right, would share that with his older brothers. How many of you guys are older siblings? That the last thing you want to ever hear is your younger sibling, like, someday I'm going to be the boss of you. <laughs> no. Never. I would rather die. Anyways. But it happened, and so his brothers became jealous. They, they were going to kill him, but then they decided, you know, we're just going to sell him. Instead, they sell him to some traders. Those traders end up selling him into slavery. He's in Egypt. He works, this guy Joseph, he, he, he works for um, one of the officials. The official's wife starts to fancy him and, you know, and, and, and wants to do some things, but he says, no, he's a righteous man. He says, no, I'm not going to do that, but because of that, 
He was accused of taking advantage of her, and he was put in jail. So now this guy, Joseph's living in jail, and he, over the course, he, there's some new prisoners, and these prisoners are having dreams, and Joseph says, well, I can interpret this dream for you because of the God of my father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I could tell you these things, and through his power, I can help you. And they said, great. He helps them out. They said, great. All you do, please just remember me so you can get me out of jail. Then he's forgotten. Those guys don't remember him. Well, one of them dies. The other completely forgets about him because he's, now he's out of jail, doesn't care. Until one day, the Pharaoh has a dream. And he remembers, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy that can interpret dreams because of the God that he serves. Let's hear from him. And so he hears from him, and Pharaoh, he had a dream about how the, the nation of Egypt was going to have years of abundance, years of, of, of abundance, but it was going to follow by, by, followed by years of famine and that you need to prepare. And because Joseph interpreted those dreams, he put Joseph second in command of the whole nation. There's Pharaoh, the guy who views himself as king and God. He thinks that he is the literal representation of Ra, the sun god. And then, and then there's Joseph. This is the biggest nation in the world at the time. Egypt was the world's superpower. Everything came from Egypt. And when that famine hit, not only did it hit Egypt, but it hit the world. If Egypt fell, the world would fall also. So not only was Joseph in charge of saving throughout all that, that years of plenty, saving enough grain, saving all this food so that when the famine hit, they would not hurt, but they also had enough to save everyone else. And so while Jacob is in Canaan spending the last years of his life thinking that his son that he loved so much was torn apart by wild beasts, is now having to live through a famine he has no food. He has no water. They have nothing. And so he sends his sons to Egypt for help. I need a bailout. Go get it. And so they go. And over the course of time, they find out that, that his son is alive. And again, it's a great story. Read it. But they find out that Joseph's alive and Joseph's able to help him. And not only that, but Joseph says, look, dad, or brother's, Bring the family to live here. Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph that he says, you can have not only just land, but you can have the best land. You can have my land. And so Jacob leaves the land of his fathers. And before that, he gets this dream, right? I think, I think you talked about, about the dream. I said, do not be afraid to return to Egypt. God was already preparing Jacob Leave your land. It's okay. You can leave it. Come to Egypt. And so he does with his whole family. It's a giant caravan. I think there was like 70, they don't, unfortunately, they don't count the women, but it was 70 men in total that came into Egypt to live there. And one of, uh, one of the greatest meetings happen. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis 47. There's something about this meeting I've always been, I've just been interested in. 
So Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Imagine what Egypt looked like. We've seen the movies. You've seen probably textbook. The Egyptians were remarkable architects, right? They, they, had, they, put, they, they cared about their palaces, about where they lived, and the beauty. And you have this throne room with a man who thinks that he is the most important person in the world, that he is the king of the most important nation in the world, that he is the God over the most important people of the world. And he is standing there. And on the other end of the palace, an old man, dirty, wrinkled, walking with a cane, Every step he is taking is being echoed throughout the whole chamber of of where Pharaoh stands. And step by step, this man, Jacob, is walking in. Think about what everything we have been learning where where God has taken Jacob from being on the run, from, 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 from working for 14 years for a wife, to now being in front of the most powerful man in the world. The thing is with Jacob, no matter how many wrinkles, no matter how poor his clothes were, he is, that was the thing, he, was, he had the clothes of a shepherd, and the Egyptians did not like shepherds. In fact, when Joseph told all his brothers, hey, when you meet Pharaoh, don't say you're shepherds, say that you're herdsmen, just semantics, just don't say it, and the brother's going, hey, we're shepherds, <laughs> right in front of Pharaoh. I told you not to say that. But Jacob's walking in with the clothes of the shepherds, with the smell of a shepherd, and step by step. And before Pharaoh can say a word, Jacob takes that hand and blesses him. And now, I, I looked into this. This isn't a blessing of like, greetings, salutations, blessing. No, this was a blessing of anointing, okay? He was anointing this heathen God. And by doing that in an instant, Pharaoh doesn't say a word. He accepts the blessing. It goes from, I'm thinking I am the most powerful man in the universe to all of a sudden, who is this old man? There is something about him that I am now speechless. And whatever he is offering, I want. Doesn't say a word. And Jacob blesses him. He blesses him that the same blessing of like, hey, prosperity, wisdom. He is giving that to Pharaoh. And for, 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 for a people, for the Egyptian people who, who believe that they are gods and they're going to, you know, they have this idea of immortality. They look at Jacob and like, That's, this man's old. It's this guy is far older than any Egyptians that we live. We live, we don't live this long. 
And he asks him, how old are you? And it's not a question of, of like, oh, just curious, how old are you? It's like, how old are you? You've got to be, like, this, you, like, I've never seen anyone that, this old before. Just how old are you? And the answer in this meeting, he says, I wrote it down, but I want to say the right thing. Since my years, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. 130 years old. I think, I, I, I think he lives like 17 years more after this meeting. Okay? 130 years old. But he says, the years of my pilgrimage. This is going to tell you the mindset of Jacob. This is going to tell you what he's learned since being on the run. What he's learned about God. The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. He then tells them the years of my pilgrimage. Why is he saying pilgrim? He, he's not saying where I live. He's, he's not saying, you know, other Bibles might say sojourning, soldiering. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, but it's the idea of like, I am walking through a place is that I do not live at, that I do not own. I am just passing through. This is how he's looking at his life. I am just passing through. This is not my home. And he's not talking about Egypt. He's talking about his life. He has an understanding of God now that the life that he has lived is not everything. From being a schemer, a heel catcher, to wanting the blessings, to wanting the wealth, to wanting the wife, to wanting the inheritance, he is now in this old age, has realized that's not what life is about. I am passing through. This is not my home. This is not my destination. And he tells them right out, my years have been difficult, been few and difficult, meaning most of his life, he admits, I was pretty evil. I did some things. They've been difficult. They've not been easy. And then once again, he blesses Pharaoh, puts his hand on him and blesses him. Not only is he probably grateful that he took care of his son for all those years, but now he realizes that he lives here. And yes, is he a heathen? Yes, does he agree with, with Pharaoh's theology and God's? No, but he still blesses him because he understands that now he needs to lead not only his people, but, hit, but Jacob's people as well, because they're going to be living there. I, th I find that so... In a, in, a, uh, in a world where we are so divided politically, and, and I wish I could say that this is like a newer thing in the last like, you know, couple presidents, but it's, it's been happening forever, right? Like, we, like people pick sides. Pick, people, you know... 
you know, election time is now we're voting and we're rooting as if we're rooting for a football team. And sometimes people will say things about other leaders that are somewhat true and some that aren't true. But it's just the idea of like I'm propping someone up versus someone down. And when that leader then becomes our leader, then they're just doing nothing but tearing down. But man, I encourage you, pray for all leaders. All leaders, whether we agree with them or not, pray for them. And, and I'm not saying like, oh yeah, I'll pray that they do what I want them to do. <laughs> no. A genuine pray, prayer that they do what God wants them to do. And Jacob knew and understood that. In Jacob's weakness, he was made strong in that moment of praying and putting a blessing on a Pharaoh. At that point, Jacob knew that he, was, he understand and knows and he is full of grace because he understands God's grace. What's interesting about this is that, oh man, what a mess. What's interesting about this is that Jacob, Jacob, when he said that my years are few and difficult, saying that I've done some things, he is still dealing with the consequences of his decision. He knows that, like, I, I, I'm suffering from a lot of these things because of my, my decisions and my consequences. He's, and like, but yet his son, Joseph, was dealing with a bunch of consequences put on him that he didn't have to suffer at all because of what others did to Joseph. Joseph is one of the perfect examples of Jesus Christ. He was still able to function, but there are things put onto him. Whereas Jacob, well, that's, that's the example of us, right? Now, I'm going to say something that probably you guys don't want to hear, but I think we need, we need to say it. But there are just some consequences in our lives that maybe we did years ago when we weren't serving the Lord, that you're probably still having to deal with today. And I want to say that those consequences, they might happen or continue to the day you die. And that's not taking away God's grace and love and mercy from you. It's not. It's just, well, Jacob understood that. Yeah, I got to deal with my consequences. And once we, like I said, once we can get that and grasp that and be like, yeah, I'm going to deal with this, and we are going to walk in so much strength, you won't even know. Right? Because you're going to walk with a limp, but you're going to walk in favor of the Lord. So I love this, this meeting that he has with Pharaoh. And as far as we know, it's the only one that he has. There might have been others, who knows. But he has this meeting with Pharaoh. All right. The next time we hear from Jacob. Seven, I think it's 17 years later. Jacob has spent the rest of his life in Egypt. This is that he's been, he just blesses people. He just does that. He just would go into the marketplaces. He would be on his land and he would be leaning on his little staff and just be blessing people and talking with people. 
blessing people. At the end of his life, that's what this man did. All right, so one day, the whole family was gathered together. The whole family got together for one more moment with the father. He knew his time was coming to an end. He knew that he was going to die, and he wanted to meet with his sons one last time. So the family all gets together, and Jacob is sitting in his bed, probably lying in his bed, and one by one, all his kids start walking in with smiles as they look at their dad, as they're remembering things and the good times and the bad times, and yet they're eager to hear what wisdom, what, what, what knowledge, what blessings are we going to hear from our father one last time? Because we know this is it. We know this is a moment that we have to hold on to forever. And so they go in, each son all surrounded his bed, and it says this in verse 49. I'm sorry, chapter 49. And then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. He's not being confused here. He's very clear with what he was saying. Gather around, sons of Jacob, but listen to your father, Israel. You know, Jacob was really, again, just being aware of the life that he lived before, on how he parented, on how he was. He, he knows that, okay? He knows that, like, look, I messed up. You are my sons of Jacob. You were there when you saw me doing some things, and I'm sorry for that but you need to listen to your father Israel because I still carry the blessing. Listen to who I am now. You knew who I was then, but listen to who I am now. That I can crawl through anything. I can crawl through the muck and the mire, but because of God's grace and mercy for me, I can come out different. And, which is interesting, he is about to prophesy for the very first time. This is the first recorded prophecy from man to man. And we hear a lot that God has said throughout Genesis about what is going to happen, but this is the first time that a man is going to say it to another person. Does that make sense? Reuben says, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excellent in honor, excelling in power, Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went into your father's bed and onto my couch and defiled it. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're sitting there. You're with dad. We're all surrounded. He's like, Reuben. Yes, father. He goes, man, you are my strength. You are, oh, man. But that's it for you. You're done. And you're like, okay? He goes, yeah, son. He says, you thought you were getting away with something. You thought that you could live a life that was not right. You thought that you could do something. 
You didn't think I didn't know about that? He says, Reuben, we all knew about that. And Reuben looks at his brothers. They're like, yeah, we did. You thought you were getting away with something, son. I'm sorry. But that's it for you. You are my strength. You are everything. But, but, but man, no. Uh, you, you can't do that. What's interesting is that, again, this will become a tribe. All these sons will become a tribe. Their families will become tribes of Israel. And there is no king, no priest, no leader that will ever come out of the tribe of Reuben. And then he says, Simon, Levi. And then you're like, oh, gosh. I don't know if you guys had other siblings. I didn't have a sibling, but, but I remember in school that if my name got attached to another friend of mine, I knew there was nothing good. It was like, you guys are, you know, in trouble. And so he attaches two sons, Simon, Levi. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join in their assembly, for they have killed men in anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. See, with them, he said, sons, your bloodlust is way out of control. They were the ones that when their sister was defiled by, by a king's son, by a prince, they went and got justice. And except there is, a, there is a line between justice, well, and, and vengeance. And they had a bloodlust, and they took it way too far. They did things that, that they, you know, they, not only did they kill, they get revenge, or I'm sorry, justice, but then they killed all these other people. And they humstrung, all, like, like, like ruined their food source. It's like, you, you, you did that because you liked it, sons. You didn't do it for justice. You did it because you had a bloodlust. And I, I don't want to hear nothing from you. I don't want no wisdom. I don't, I don't want your, your advice because you have to get that under control. Now, the tribe of Simon... When they leave Egypt 430-something years later, or 400 years later, um, Simon will be one of the biggest tribes to leave Egypt. But while they're in the wilderness, their numbers will drop, and they will come out of the wilderness and into the promised land with Joshua as one of the smallest tribes. So small that they don't even get land to themselves. They have to share it with Judah. Now, Levi, Levi rallied. There is something, when his dad said this, there is something that stuck with Levi. There is something that he learned. There was something that, that maybe he didn't change his ways, but he then told his son and his son and his son. There was something about that meeting that Levi said, no, you're right. And when, 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 when Moses goes into the wilderness and he's going to get the Ten Commandments and everyone is like, well, we want, we want the golden calf. We, we, we want this. We want that. It was a try, you know, when Moses came down and says, well, who, who's on the side of the Lord and who's on the side of the idol? And it was the tribe of Levi says, we're on the side of the Lord. They rallied and they, beget, beget, they get to become the tribe of the priests. 
So they got it together. And then Jacob says, Judah. And by that time, you've heard what happened to Reuben, Levi, and Simon. And Judah's probably just looking down like, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. He's going to remember that I'm the one that sold Jake Joseph. I'm the one that suggested that we sell him. And all his brothers are like looking at him. And he's like, Judah. He says, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And so he whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash the garments and wine, his robes and the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth were whiter than milk. I think you guys know who he's talking about. See, Judah, Judah will be the tribe that the Messiah will come out of. The whole point of this you're going to be the one to carry that. Not only that, but you're going to have leaders coming out of you. With the exception of Saul, every king came out of Judah. Solomon, Josiah, David, and Jesus. All leaders. Zebulon will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. All right, so I get the beach. That's it. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it. Just don't say no more, Dad. I'm done. I'll take it. I'll take that blessing. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among his sheep pens. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Oh, Issachar, you are just a big, lazy man. You are big, you are strong, but man, are you lazy. You are taking naps upon naps. And because of that, because you look so strong, because you look so imposing, later on in history, when other nations come and start to enslave the Israelites, it was the tribe of Issachar that they took first because they looked big and they looked strong. They were the easy, but yet they were so easy to put into slavery because they did not put up a fight. Dan, Dan will provide justice for his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse heels so that the rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Dan, Dan gets two. Dan gets to be the tribe that, that the judges come out of. Like, like Samson comes out of Dan. He says, you're going to be our justice force. You're going to be our judges. You're going to be what's right and wrong. But yet, you're also going to be like a viper on the side of the road. You know, those, those things that, that people, as they're just walking, and they think they're going to get somewhere, their day is ruined by a bite of the viper. 
and they didn't even see it coming. See, for Dan, Dan's tribe will be a very troublesome tribe for, for, for all of Israel because they become like the center of idol worship. They are so quick to pick other idols to worship. And because of that, they're going to confuse the people. And a lot of people are going to go and worship other idols. They are that viper along the road. But they're also justice. Weird. Gad. Gad. G-A-D. He says, well, you'll be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. He said, Gad, you're going to get jumped. <laughs> you're going to get jacked up. Later on in life, they're going to be they're going to be Israel's border patrol. They're going to be like the Marines. Yeah, you're 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 going to be attacked. Yeah, it's going to be rough, but but you're going to be a force that attacks back. Like you're not going to take it. You are our defense. You are our first line. That's Gad. Asher, food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. They're going to be the money people. You're going to be the ones providing for our whole nation. Not just rich in food, but in knowledge and everything else. Uh, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be like the bankers. So you got Dan, who's the justice. You've got Asher, um, Gad, who's like the defense force. And you've got Asher, who's going to provide the money and the blessings. And then you've got Naphtali. So Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. So he hears that. He's just like, okay. He says, wow, Dan, Gad, and Asher, that's some good stuff. I'm a doe that bears beautiful fawns. He looks at his brothers. He goes, well, what does that mean? The rest of his brothers are like, we don't know. <laughs> I, we don't know what that means. You got beautiful kids? I guess. Maybe. Now, I really don't know what it means, but what I do know is that Jesus did more ministry and teaching in the area where Naphtali settles than any other place. So my guess is that there is such beauty that comes out of of Naphtali, that beautiful fawn, what Jesus was bringing to the world and teaching and guiding and healing and delivering, that was beauty to the world that was full of darkness and ugliness. That's my guess. Then he gets to Joseph. And I think at this point, all the brothers are like, oh, okay, I wonder what he's going to get. Joseph. And they're right. It says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacking him, they shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. Because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you, who blesses, whose blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep spring below, blessings of the great, um, blessings of the breast of the womb, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. The bounty of the age-old hills, let all those rest on the head of Joseph, on the bow and the prince among his brothers. Yeah, he got what he deserved. 
He said, yeah, you were attacked. You were attacked, but yet you held strong because you knew your father's God. What's interesting, he says that your obedience is strength is a model to everyone. And he starts to list all these things, a mighty God of Jacob, a shepherd, a stone of Israel, a God of your father, the almighty. Those are all kind of titles deserved for, for God. And yet Joseph draws those comparisons. Yeah, he got what he deserved. What a blessing. And then Benjamin, his last, his last son, says, is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. Oh, Benjamin. And so he listens. He says, all right, well, that's it, sons. See, Benjamin, they're just a scrappy tribe. They're the smallest. They're fighting. You know, you will find out later on that they fight amongst each other. They're the first to fight. They're they're fighting amongst all the other tribes. They, They always felt like they needed to prove something. Ironically, this is the tribe that Saul comes out of, the man who felt that he had to prove everything. So he did things outside of God's command. But I want to go back to what the whole point was with Joseph. See, up until now, there is no name for God. It's just Abraham's God. I mean, there is, but they don't know it yet. It's just Abraham's God. And when Isaac wanted to learn from Abraham, who's your God? He says, okay, well, now that's my God is Abraham's God. And when Jacob heard from Isaac about God, it now became, well, the God of Abraham, Isaac. And when Joseph learned from Jacob about his God, well, then throughout the world, it became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was just following the gods of their father. That's what made Joseph so strong. That's what made him not want to, uh, to fall into a trap with, with the official's wife. He says, because I know the God of my father. Dads have something to offer their children when they know who God is. When they know who God is, that is something to offer. Mothers and fathers need to know God if they ever want to lead their family right. We need to know, we need to know God if we're ever going to lead at all. What would work look like if you knew God? What would school look like if you really knew God? Your families, your neighbors, your city. If you knew God, what would that look like? So after he says that to his sons, he knew it was time for him to go. It says that he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. And then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. The cave of the field of Mifrah, near Marin in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as his burial place. From Ephron the Hittite, 
There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the caves in where I bought from the Hittites. That when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his son, he drew up his feet on the bed, breathed his last breath, and was gathered with his people. And so goes the last of the patriarchs of Israel. What can we learn from the death of Jacob? I love how he says, I'm going to be gathered with my people. Again, it goes back to that whole idea of, of this life is temporary. This is not my home. This is not what I'm living for. No, when I go, sons, it will be okay. I'm going to be gathered with my people. Don't worry about me. I know there is an eternity that awaits me. Despite my life was difficult and few, I still know I have eternity. I'm going to be gathered with my people. Don't bury me here. Bury me in that land that was promised to us. That's where I want to be buried. Put his feet up. And it was again the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And he was gathered with his people when he died, when he breathed his last breath. Israel. And yet, because of that, because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a nation was born from him. They will go into Egypt. They will live there for 400 years, multiply and become a nation themselves. They will spend some time in the wilderness because God wants to get his people right. And then they will inherit the promised land. And then eventually the Messiah will come. Salvation for us all. So what is the point? What is the point of this whole story? What is the point of, of, of Jacob? What is this point of, of a nation? What is the point of a people? And I come to think that, well, we all have dreams, right? We have things we want to accomplish. We, you know, some of us want dreams of children. And we want our children to do things and we want to go places. I, well, the, the truth is God has a dream too. And his dream is family. He wants family. He, from the very beginning, in the beginning of Genesis, it was, he was not outside community. He was in community, but he wanted family. And so he created us. And that family was taken away. There was a barrier between us. And so he went into a, to, to, to make sure that this could happen, that, that we could have that family. And so here's the deal. I, I know I've said this before, but I just I want to say it again. But throughout centuries, throughout the world, there's been the question of what is the meaning of life? And it is my opinion that this is the meaning of life, is that God wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. That is it. If I read this Bible front to back, there are tons of stories. There are tons of things to learn, to help us in everyday life, to do things. But you know what? The whole story from front to back is all about God wanting a people, wanting to love us. 
and wanting to be with us. There are over 30 verses throughout the whole Bible as a reminder that, that this is God's vision, his plan, and his dream. Genesis 17 says that now I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring so that throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring and after you, and I will give to you uh, to your offspring and after you the land of your sojourning and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but it's good. I promise you. In Exodus, it then will say, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. In Leviticus, it says, I will make my dwelling among you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. In Second Samuel, it says that you have established for yourself, for your people Israel, to be your people forever, and you, O Lord, become their God. And Jeremiah, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Ezekiel, my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. New Testament, 2 Corinthians. It says, what assignment has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God says, I will, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. First Peter says, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for his own possession, God's own possession. Now you are God's people. And from the beginning, he created man and woman. He lost that. But on the last chapter of Revelation, if it doesn't hit home, he says, and then I heard a loud voice. When it is all said and done, when God has come back and he's redeemed not only this planet, he's redeemed everyone. He's redeemed you and he's with his people. And in Revelation 21, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That is how this whole thing ends. God with his people. That is why it's so important. Everyone needs to know who God is. We need to know that. If I can have the band come on up. I know what my deal is. It's the microphone. I'm trying not to get the microphone in the water. I need a Stanley cup. One of those sippy things. That's what I need. Again, it was God's dream for family. It's not God's dream for your families. It's just a dream for family. And we're all living in his dream. It started with a man who took on the God of his father, right? And it continued. Caused him to have a limp, but it changed his whole identity to a man that he knew God first. And again, he, from him, a whole nation the size of New Jersey was named after him. Not only that, but we've talked about how influential that whole nation has been and how it's been fought over time and time again and the good things that, they have, that have come from that nation. And so why do we support Israel? Why do we do this? 
Why are we spending a whole sermon series and why do we pray for it? Well, they're the firstborn. See, here's the thing. Like Jacob, there's going to be a gathering. Like Jacob, when he gathered his sons to talk, talk to them one more time, there's going to be a gathering again. Except for it's not going to be a deathbed. It's going to be God gathering us to tell us like, all right, it's about to go down. He's going to have Israel, Jewish people. He said, look, sons, I love you, but you need to know my Jesus. Work on that. And he's going to gather Christians. He said, look, son, I love you. But you've done some things in the name of Jesus that I don't agree with. You need to know me better so that you don't do that. It's all about family. Yes, Israel's the firstborn. That's why we, we love them. We pray for them. So, because God loves family, gave us Jesus, and he gave us this opportunity to commune with him every week. So you have your elements. Get those out. Gosh, God loved us so much that he sent his son to give up his body to give up his body so that we can live in power. So that we can, when we pray, that we have a God that listens back. That we, that we, can, we can ask for things. That we can be healed. He gave up his body so that we can have relationship. So remember that as you take this. God gave up that body willingly. Take this now. And he gave up his blood so that we can be right with God. That there was no trial. There was no, um, you know, conviction. None of that took place for us because of the blood. And he gave his blood up willingly so that we can be reconciled to God, be made right. So do that in remembering him. Thank you, Lord. All right, if I can have the ushers come on up. I'm going to wrap this up. Lord, we thank you for Israel. We thank you for not only the nation, but we thank you for the man. That like all of us, like all of us, we, we can be so tied up into this world that know that, that this isn't our place. There, there's an eternal life that you want us to because that's where you want us. That's your dream for family all together. Lord, bless the offering. Bless all of us this week. Let us be a people that know you, Lord. Let us be a people that, that, that get to know your heart, that will spend time with you daily to know who you are. And not just let a pastor or a video or anything tell us who you are, but, but let us have our individual relationships with you. Thank you, God. Amen. All right, I'm just going to do the blessing right now, and I want to. It's from Second Peter. 
Because I think this is the blessing of Israel. This is the blessing of, of Jacob that he, at the end of his life, wanted his boys to know. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and the Savior of Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Church, this week, get to know better. Get to know God better. Amen? Amen. All right.